Good morning. Am I on? All right. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, So Ted uh, invited me to share some encouragements and some lessons from these last several years of serving as your pastor of spiritual formation. And, you know, it, it, it dawned on me that this would officially, even though we're not going, we're going to be around, um, I recognize that this is going to be my last Sunday speaking to you uh, as your pastor. And um, as that's kind of settling into my heart this morning, I just, uh, what's welling up in my heart is, is, is thanks. You know, I just want to say thank you for allowing me to partner with you, for allowing me to serve you. I thank you for being a part of my life. I think in the last several years that I've been part of this community, uh, I've changed a lot. I've grown a lot. Um, you know, we, we've lived life together, right? It's been imperfect, uh, but that's what we expect. And it's through those imperfections that the Lord has uh, molded and shaped us and me to where we are today. So, um, I didn't know what to call today's message. Uh, it's an encouragement letter to my friends at Access. That sounds so boring. But, you know, I, I get some solace that in the scriptures when Paul's writing his letters to, I mean, all you get is Ephesians, you know, letter to Timothy. And um, so this is, this is today my encouragement letter to you all, uh, my friends here at Access. And like Paul's letters in the scripture that were, not, that were for a specific audience, hopefully that there's also something in there that's for anyone else here who uh, might not call access your home. But this is, the desire this morning is that we all, me included, we would pay attention and we would hear what the Lord has to say to us. So let me begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, prepare us, prepare our hearts to hear whatever your Spirit wants to say to us today. Whatever you want to say, Lord. We incline our ears. We open our spiritual eyes. We open our hearts. Lord, speak to us today. In your name we pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So I thought I wanted to get some cues to how I might share today from um, Paul's letters to Timothy. Um, this last week, my family and I, we, we were just reading, just part of a Bible reading plan together uh, through the YouVersion app. You know, we were just reading through the books of First and Second Timothy. And these letters were written near the end of Paul's life. Paul was aged. He had already lived um, a very long um, he had a very intense uh, life as a missionary and apostle of Jesus Christ. And in his old age, he was beginning to write some of these letters, some of these later letters to his disciples. Timothy was a young pastor. Timothy was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And at that time when he was writing the letter, uh, Ephesus was, it was a tough place to serve. There were a lot of challenges. There was a lot of opposition. Um, there was a lot of uh, difficult challenges. Um, it was a diverse community learning how to live life with God. And the practical challenges of church, of life together as a community of faith were very difficult. 
And Paul was like a mentor. More than a mentor, he was like a father figure. He was a spiritual father. And Timothy was like his spiritual son. And he's writing these letters affectionately to his son with, in, with instructions of, of how to live life, how to live life with God, how to shepherd and care for the people of God that were in his care. And you know, as I was reading these letters this past week, one thing that jumped off the page for me, day after day as I was going through the two letters, were the verbs, the verbs that Paul chose to, to exhort and to encourage Timothy. I'm just going to flash a few of these, okay? So in verse 118 of his first letter, he kind of gives this purpose, right, of the letter. He says, I urge you then, right, to keep these commands so that you will be able to fight this battle well. Look at these verbs. I mean, he says, train yourself, devote yourself, give yourself wholly to, do not neglect, be diligent, persevere in this, flee from all of these things, and instead pursue these things. He said to Timothy, fight the good fight, take hold. Guard your hearts, guard your minds. Fan into flame the gift that that was revealed to you. Be strong in the grace of God. Keep reminding the people of these things. And then do your best. Don't have anything to do with these things. Timothy, continue in. Preach. Preach the gospel. Be prepared in and out of season. Keep your head, endure hardship. Do you, can, do you see how all these verbs are, there's so many unique verbs, but these are all just words of exhortation. I, I was noticing how many commands, and that's what Paul calls it. Today I'm giving you these commands so that you will fight the battle well. And at the end of the letter, his second letter to Timothy, he's like, I have fought the good fight. And so he wants Timothy and the other people of God to also fight a good fight. And he knew that the battle was hard. It was going to be a long battle. And in order for them to fight the good fight and to finish the race the way Paul did, there are all these things that he wanted to impart to them. You know, today, our modern sensibilities, we don't like commands Right? In some ways, we kind of have an aversion to commands because sometimes commands feel like they can feel oppressive. They can feel weighed, like, like weighing us down. They can, we've, had, we've experienced abuses of power with people laying down commands that are too heavy for us to bear. That's not the spirit. You, you can tell from in the context of Paul and Timothy's relationship or Paul and the church's relationship. There was not an abuse of power. It was, came with a sense of urgency, the sense of, you need this. This is important. Be diligent. Be prepared. Right? Don't neglect the gift of God. Don't forget. Remind yourself. Right? And I think we need to hear that. We need to hear that sometimes, right, from our mentors, from our pastors, 
from the Lord himself. We need to hear commands. Commands are good in the context of loving, trusting relationships. So in the backdrop of all of this, I was like, all right, now, what do I want to encourage my friends here at Access? I only have a few more minutes, so I couldn't, I can't fill the pages the way Paul wrote in his letter. And besides, you have the letters of the scripture. That's, that's far better, okay? Uh, this is not authoritative. This is me from my heart to yours. These are the things, like if I could distill and narrow it down to just a few encouragements that I want to leave you, my last kind of will and testament, so to speak, as your pastor. Here are my encouragements that I want to give to you today. So this is my encouragement letter to you all. I want you to start off by looking at this image. What does it evoke in you? When you see this picture of someone out in the middle of wide open space. What does that evoke in you? And for me, it's like there's something, as soon as I see an image like this, it evokes something in me. It evokes longing. There's a desire there somewhere. It's like, oh, just to be in wide open space. What does wide open space do for me, do for us, for you? I mean, it just opens our mind, right? My headspace these days is so crowded. I don't know about you. It can be so crowded with what I have to do, where I have to go, with demands, with my phone and all the messages and things that I need to respond to, right? Wide open space. There's something in our souls. When we see wide open space, we long for it because we were created to live in wide open space with God. If I had more time, I'd tell you the word study of the Hebrew word for salvation, which in the message translation, Eugene Peterson captures some of the metaphor, you know, salvation as wide open space. But in contrast, many of us experience this in my mind and in my heart. I experience clutter and noise. There's so much clamoring for my attention and yours. I don't know about you, right? That when I see the image of wide open space, I'm like, oh, I need that. And there's something in my soul that, that is just I cannot live fully as who I am, who God has created me to be, because this is the state of my soul or of my heart so often. So my first encouragement to you, my friends, if I could use a command, if I could put an exclamation point for you, it's to create more space in your lives. To create more space, not just physically around you, but also internally within you. We need more open space in our lives for God to occupy. I love this quote. This quote is uh, often, it's a part of every soul care retreat that I lead, right? 
And if some of you have been a part, you've probably heard it. If you haven't, um, here it is. <laughs> Discipleship cannot be realized without discipline. Okay. Now, discipline in the spiritual life, however, has nothing to do with the discipline of athletics, academic study, or job training in which physical fitness is achieved, new knowledge is acquired, or a new skill is mastered. Now, the discipline of the Christian disciple is not to master anything, but rather to be mastered by the Spirit. True Christian discipline is the human effort to create the space in which the Spirit of Christ can transform us into His image. Spiritual disciplines. Maybe you've heard that. Yeah, I need to be more disciplined. I need to have a quiet time. I need to read more. I need to study the Scripture. All these disciplines. We feel like if I will do those things, then I will master the Christian life. And what Henry Nouwen is so insightfully telling us is, no, that's not the effort part. This is not the same where if I do this, then I can get this result. Because transformation, Christian discipleship, is, is, what, is something that happens to us. The active agent is not our will. It's the Holy Spirit working in our lives to change us from the inside out. But there is effort involved. And where is the effort? The effort is in creating the space. And that's the hardest part. That's the hardest part of all. It's creating the space for the Spirit of Christ to show up. And guess what? When we create the space, God comes. He occupies that space. Time and time and time again, when I lead these retreats of silence and solitude, I do very little teaching on purpose because I don't think what people most need is to hear a teacher, more teaching, more insights, more wisdom. There's a place for that. But often what I think is most needed is space. And so we say, take the whole afternoon and just be with the Lord. That's the hardest part. And we need to do that in our own lives. Not all of us can afford to take extended time away for this kind of, to create this spaciousness with God. I wish we would. And I think with enough effort, we could. You know, this past, um, early this year, I had my first sabbatical. Um, I took a four-month sabbatical. And in the very first week of my sabbatical, I spent seven days alone in, um, in a retreat center in the middle of the, the Sonoran Desert. I mean, they fed me, and thank God, you know. Uh, and, I, and I was in a, a little hermitage by myself, and it was just extended time with God. And we need that. I cannot even tell you, I wish I had time to share with you, like the ways in which that extended time with the Lord brought healing, restoration, and transformation in my heart, which just continues to bear fruit. Now, if you can't spend a week of a year, what about a week, what about a a couple of days out of the year for extended time to create space to be with the Lord? What about one day out of the week? In the scriptures, this is called Sabbath. And you know what? 
We need that. We need Sabbath. So one day out of the week. Well, if we can't give one day out of the week, can you give, can we create space one hour out of each day? That's that's the part that needs effort on our parts. We need to be intentional. We need to create it. And if I can't do one hour out of the day, maybe five minutes out of each hour. So friends, create the space. My second encouragement to you is to pray. To pray more. A lot more. You know, for the last eight years, one of the deep, like, kind of longings, kind of groanings in my heart is that I so long to see more prayer in our church. People gathering to seek the, God's will and God's face together. There is so much more. And my, so my, if I could put an exclamation point, right? Do more. Be diligent. Create space for what? To pray more. There's learn more about prayer. There's so much. We're still learning. What does it mean to pray warfare prayer? What does it mean to pray, pray prayers in the spirit? Right? What is centering prayer? Prayers of you know, intercession, prayers of confession, prayers of lament, right? Being able to pour out honestly, pray more to God. All, all of us, I don't know where you are today in your prayer life, but all of us could be more. There's, Paul wrote in Romans 12, be constant in prayer. Right To the letter to the Thessalonians, pray unceasingly. You read in the book of Acts when the church was just beginning, when the disciples were a little bit displaced and lost, that they devoted themselves to prayer. And so I want to urge you, Prayer changes everything. It changes the landscape of everything. It is in that place, when we create space for more prayer, that God begins to shape our relationship with him. Remember maybe a couple of months ago when we spoke of our prayerlessness. Right? This is not a word of condemnation. This This is part of our real experience with God. We experience prayerlessness, difficulty in prayer. And there are all sorts of reasons for that, right? We've experienced disappointment. Sometimes it's just we haven't experienced God all that much. We have difficulty trusting. Maybe we have anger and disappointment with the Lord. And so then I urge you, right, meet with a wise guide who can walk with you as you are sorting out What are some of the sources of prayerlessness in our lives? Learn more. Seek to pray more, friends. My third encouragement to you, and this is really kind of out of the the deeper lessons that I've received while I was on sabbatical this past year. And I think this changes a lot of how this changes a lot. This changes everything, actually. It changes the landscape of our spiritual lives. If we would change the way we think about and respond to pain and suffering, 
And we know the scriptures. We know that pain and suffering comes. It's part of the, the, the life of discipleship. We know, we know this. But internally, most of us, if we are honest, I will, well, I will say, I will speak for myself. When we are experiencing pain and suffering, the default, the default response is something is wrong. And because something is wrong, I need to do, I need to either get, uh, avoid it, avert it, manage the circumstances, find what's to blame, or where the problem is, right? If there's pain and suffering, that means something is wrong. Maybe I've done something wrong, or someone else has done something wrong. And it's a problem that we need to fix and change right away. There, there are whole brands, like even distortions of the, of the Christian gospel that would say when you are experiencing suffering that it is from a lack of faith or lack of something. And so I want to wholesale, like just like correct that and say no. Our goal is not to eradicate pain and suffering. Rather, it is to actually to share in and experience it in Christ. This is a picture of a yellow flower in the middle of the Sonoran Desert in Tucson, Arizona. During my sabbatical, one of the books that I read that was quite life-transforming for me was Heinz Feet on High Places. It's a, it's a spiritual classic. It's an allegory. Maybe some of you have, have heard this before. It's an allegory um, where you personify a lot of the virtues and the, the vices of life. The main character is a young woman named Much Afraid. And she is on a journey. She, she lives in a place where she is constantly oppressed on every side by her own family members you know, especially. But in this place, she comes into relationship with the Good Shepherd. And the Good Shepherd invites her to come and to serve him. And this is the best thing that could ever happen to Much Afraid. And Much Afraid says, Oh, oh, Good Shepherd, if I could but just join you. I see you leaping around in the high places like, like, like the with the feet of like a, a deer, and how I wish I could do that. But alas, I can't because of my lamed feet. And, and I can't say anything. I can't have, I'm, I'm always afraid, and I have disfigured, disfigured face. And the good shepherd's like, I've just been waiting for you to ask that. Would you like to come to the high places? I will bring you there. And these are my promises. Whenever you call on me, whenever you are afraid, or whenever you're assailed by the enemies, I will show up. And as you are on the journey, I will provide for you two companions, two sure companions who will help you on your journey to get to the high places and to leap there with me. You know the names of these companions? Sorrow and suffering. Much afraid, initial reactions to sorrow and suffering is, no. It's all of our initial response to sorrow and suffering. We're like, no, please, 
Terrifi- how terrifying. How in the world is that? Are these companions supposed to help me get to the high places? So read the book to read the story of how she goes from that point of terif- being terrified and horrified at what the good shepherd is telling and inviting her to. And when she reaches the high places and is transformed and experiences union, communion with the good shepherd. So during my sabbatical, there's this incredible reorientation that was going on that I did not expect or ask for. When I went to the secret place, like what, what Amy was sharing in worship this morning, the secret place, the Lord began to show me that there is this place in my heart where experiences and trauma from the past had created a, a shell in which a belief had, had remained in there, that was hidden in there. I had a hidden belief that regarding certain things that had happened in my past, that those were things in which God dealt me a bad hand. I could trust God with this and all. The, I've experienced a lot of adversity and a lot of you know, ups and downs, and I can trust the Lord with those things. But there was this place in my heart where I was like, no. In regards to what happened there in my family of origin, with the things that we experienced, no. I don't trust you there. And I didn't realize that in that place, that secret belief caused me to look at those circumstances and a lot of present circumstances through the lens of God cannot be trusted fully with some of these things. Well, the Lord began to do a work, a work of surgery, a work, an operation on the heart where he began to bring this to light, allowing me to see it. And then the Lord permitting me to have my eyes open the way much of Fred's eyes were open and to be able to retranslate, reinterpret what sorrow and suffering is about. You know what that yellow flower is? In the story of, in the story of uh, Hind's feet, much afraid is in a desert wilderness. And then when she's learned some of the lessons that the Lord is wanting to teach her, this flower, a flower appears in the middle of the desert, a yellow flower, and its name is acceptance with joy. Acceptance with joy. We don't accept sorrow and suffering just as my lot in life, just something I have to bear. No, we begin to see it as these are the gifts of God. God permitted these things to heal our lame feet. God permits these pains so that we can experience intimacy with God. In my journey with God over 30 years of walking with Christ, my places of greatest intimacy with the Lord has always been through sorrow and suffering. My, our faith is formed when we can respond to sorrow and suffering by accepting it, seeing it as his gifts for us, gifts for our healing and our good. I've um, introduced this prayer by Thomas Keating. 
Um, it's called the welcoming prayer. And it has been such a gift to me. Because even today, when I'm experiencing a lot of undesirable, annoying, irritating circumstances, this prayer helps me to reposture and to realign and to begin to see the troubles of my day in my life or in my relationships through the lens of acceptance with joy, right? Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing. I welcome all thoughts feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. I let go of my desire for survival and security. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, and even myself. I open to the love and presence of God and God's action within. Amen. We could spend a whole half hour unpacking that, but look it up, the welcoming prayer. Put it somewhere, print it out, put it somewhere. Okay. My fourth encouragement to you guys, um, and I wish I could go into greater length than this, is that For your spiritual journeys, friends, would you, I plead with you to seek guidance and help. The journey was never intended to be done alone and not through the power of self. We need companions. These companions are God's gifts to us for the journey. We need the companionship of counselors and therapists We need the companionship of coaches, of mentors. We need the companionship of spiritual directors. I am not shy at all about being a strong advocate for counseling and therapists. I would not be where I am today without the help of therapists. There is a course in my journey when I experienced a long, long, what felt like an unending wilderness or a winter season of the soul, when I was experiencing a lot of chronic depression and anxiety disorder, right? And I didn't know what to do. I was doing all the cognitive work. I was doing all of the therapy. I was doing a lot of the spiritual work, but I needed antidepressants. And then five years ago, I, I uh, underwent EMDR therapy for some of my PTSD symptoms. And what a game changer, Right? I can do all this spiritual work, but if there's something going on in my body, I need the gifts of God that is in these therapists and counselors who are in our midst. Did you know that we have some LPCs in our community? Thank God for them. Right? This past week, I, I, I made a special, I, you know, I decided I need to expand my referral list. And so I began to ask people, share with me your stories of therapists who have, who have been really helpful in your journey. I think every single married couple in this room, every single one, should seek a marriage counselor at some point. Right? Yeah. Not just when you're in the point of crisis. Right? We need these companions, these gifts in the body of Christ. We also need coaches. Right? I recently, last year I became certified coach, and 
man, the reason why I did that is because of my experience with faith walking. So many of you know that faith walking is a spiritual formation program, a series of courses in which we can work on the things in our lives that get us stuck, right? We know that God calls us to, for transformation, and at times there are certain things in our lives that get us stuck. And with the help of a coach, it's a particular set of skills where you can learn to draw out through questions, right, a path forward, and then receive the accountability and help. I know there are a handful of folks in our community who have experienced some of this help from godly and gifted coaches, now, I want you guys to know that our worship leader this morning, Amy, has just received the same coaching, and she is very gifted in, this, in, in coaching, right? And I think she still has some capacity for some more clients, right? right? So we need to do this. We need to seek guidance. And some of us need spiritual directors. A spiritual director is a companion who comes alongside you and helps you explore what is going on in my relationship with God. Remember I said, pray more, create space for God. For some of us, that's really hard. I have tried, and I'm disheartened and discouraged. And so then we might need a spiritual director to come alongside, to create space for us to explore what is going on in my relationship with the Lord that it is hard to trust him in this season. Yeah, exclamation point. Do this, right? This is important. This helps. And then my last exhortation, the last thing that I want to encourage you, my friends, is to become a listening community. It's to really become a listening community. I could have said loving community, right? That is what I mean too, but I wanted to say specifically, we access, let's be a listening community. When you look at how public discourse and dialogue occurs today on any variety of difficult topics, you will see very quickly that no one is listening to one another. Right? Look at our political landscape today. Opponents on different sides how they speak of their opponents. Even in the Christian church, the way we talk about those groups and our groups, those us and them, we disagree on theology, we disagree on all of these things. What's your view on gun control? What's your view on abortion? What is your view on sexual, human sexuality? What is your view on immigration? Right? Hot buttons, right? And we do not know how to listen to one another. Right? If we, I really believe that the remedy for the political landscape that we see today is that we, the people of God, become skilled become competent listeners to be able to receive one another's stories with grace, without judgment. And that doesn't mean that we don't ourselves hold convictions and positions. But what would it be to be able to sit at the table with someone who thinks, looks, smells very differently than you do? 
We've been talking about being one, desiring to be a church that unites diverse people. And I want to say we cannot do that. We're, not, we're going to hit a wall unless we can learn how to listen well to one another. We need to begin with just being able to hear one another's stories. That's why in our church retreat a couple of months ago, we created listening groups to hear our stories around our experience, our story around ethnicity, our, where we've experienced pain and brokenness because of ethnicity, and where our hopes and desires are for the future. You've got a taste of that, but we've got to do a lot more of that. We have to do a, way more of that, right? Because we're not just, we, we don't need to just grow competency in being able to listen to people like us. We have to be able to listen well to our enemies as well. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, I think this is concretely a big part of how this is done. We have to learn to listen to those that we feel in opposition with. Jeremy and I have been friends since we were this big. We know each other's stories inside out. We have some different views on some current issues right, that are going on in the news. But you know what? Like, we can talk about it. We can, we can get pretty heated in it. And it is completely safe because we love each other, because we're brothers. That's what it would take. You know, he can trust that I will listen to him. And he trusts, and I trust that he listens to me. Right? He's helped me. And I think I've helped him access. Let us work. Let us continue to press forward, lean in, do the difficult work of learning how to become a listening community. So here's my letter to you all. Dear access, (laughs) create more space. Pray more. A lot more. Change the way you think about and respond to suffering. Seek guidance and help from others and become a listening community. I'm going to plagiarize Paul. The Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you all. Your servant, David. We are going to finish our time today with communion. Communion is the Lord Jesus welcoming us into personal, intimate space with Him. The metaphor of the table is a metaphor of welcome and hospitality. Jesus welcomed all to the table. He is known for being sitting at the table with sinners, with tax collectors, with those who are on the margins. And he extends his hospitality and welcome to us as well.
So as, you come, as we come forward today to receive these gifts, it is the Lord's invitation to loving communion with us. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let's pray. O oh, Father, sanctify these elements by your word and your Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And sanctify us also that we may receive this holy sacrament in a worthy manner. All this we ask through your Son, Christ Jesus. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed once for all upon the cross. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. I'm going to invite our communion servers to come forward. And after I have served them, I'll invite you to come forward to, participate, to partake by taking the bread and dipping it in the cup and partaking. All right. These are gluten-free, in case you need to know that.